Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. Uh, Later on the show, we're going to be hearing about a way to earn passive income from our sponsor, Liquidity Card Solutions. Right now, we're speaking to James Elman, who is the author of a new book called Hot Stocks, Investing for Impact and Profit in a Warming World. You can hear all about what we're talking about and also see more at his website, jamesellman.com. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, James. Thanks so much for having me on today. Let's just get a little bit of your background and how you got to become uh, the expert on investing in renewable energy stocks. Well, I've been uh, involved in uh, active investing my entire life. Um, I started out as a banking examiner at the Fed right out of college, went back to grad school, and then uh, started running mutual funds at um, what's now Invesco and uh, Merrill Lynch before starting my own hedge fund, Seacliff Capital, and then going to work at a a larger hedge fund to send capital. And I have increasingly come to believe that the change in the climate will be driving the stock market along with, of course, efforts to mitigate the cost of the changing climate. And that has led me to try and reach out to others in the investment community with this book. So let's kind of start with a big picture. People have different views on how big a problem climate change is. Some people say it's not that big a deal. Uh, some even say there's a cooling wave coming. Some say this is catastrophic. Just kind of give us the bigger picture of what your outlook is for climate change. Well, unfortunately, I'm, I'm not uh, particularly optimistic about uh, climate change and its impact on, on the human race over the next few decades in that uh, carbon dioxide levels are continuing to rise on a very regular basis uh, as measured by the U.S. government. And those numbers are up on the U.S. government websites uh, every day. Uh, It is leading to rising sea levels, uh, changes in the climate in many areas where we attempt to grow food for our agriculture and leading to those areas not being acceptable for agriculture anymore. Uh, It's inundating places where people live. It's leading to um, droughts that are leading to wars, and I believe that uh, most scientists in the world, well over 90%, believe that this is an existential problem for the human race, and increasingly the U.S. public has come to believe that as well. So at the beginning of your book, you talk about welcome to the Anthropocene. Maybe I didn't pronounce that right, but this is a new era. Describe what you mean by that uh, kind of era of climate. Well, most scientists now believe that we have left uh, the previous uh, geological uh, epoch, and now we are in the Anthropocene, which is uh, driven by us, humans. And we are the major determinant as to the weather and the climate in our uh, globe at this time. We are engaged in a massive effort to dig up hundreds of millions of years worth of hydrocarbons stored in the ground as quickly as possible and burn them as quickly as possible, releasing heat, methane, and carbon dioxide. And we are increasingly cooking ourselves in our own waste. So some would say we had the Paris Accords. Now, the United States pulled out of it, but everybody else is still in it. So that gives us a clear roadmap to get this under control. Is that correct? The Paris Accords would would solely be the first step, which uh, really would be for developed nations and Japan, 
Europe, the United States, etc., to start to reduce the amount of our emissions that take place on a yearly basis. And for some developing nations, most particularly uh, India and China, uh, to at least slow the growth in their emissions. We need to do a lot more than that if we're going to keep the uh, planet from warming by two degrees Celsius or more. The Earth has already increased its temperature by about one degree Celsius since the beginning of the industrial era. So you say in the beginning that there are a tale of two worlds, what carbon emissions might look like going from now to 2030 over the next 10 years. What are the two possibilities, if we do it right or if we do it wrong? Well, the tale of two worlds, it was, it was more that it used to be that the U.S. was by far the largest emitter of greenhouse gases. We still are a very major emitter, but we're down to about 5%, and China has far surpassed us um, in terms of emitting um, greenhouse gases. But, yes, in terms of the future in front of us, one can hope that we will move towards a more green alternative energy future where we can create a lot of jobs and create uh, and um, expand new technologies to live in a world with less pollution versus the path that we are con currently on, which will lead to ever more pollution, ever higher uh, uh, temperatures, and increasingly an inability for humans to live close to the equator, which would lead to billions of people starting to move northwards towards the and southwards towards the poles. What difference has it made that President Trump uh, pulled out of the Paris Accords? Uh, I think it's, it's a very significant um, uh, decision in that, for better or worse, the U.S. has been seen as the leader in world affairs since the end of World War II. And if the U.S. does not lead, the rest of the world is not going to follow. Uh, China is engaged in a dual-track strategy right now. They are, of course increasing their carbon emissions rapidly. However, they are the largest um, manufacturer and installer of both wind turbines, you often call them windmills, and solar panels in the world. Um, China installs more than the rest of the world combined at this point. So it seems like, and they're adding coal plants at the same time, is that right? They are, and the same is taking place in India. I think we need to understand that People in those countries uh, have not been as lucky and not been as wealthy as, as we have been. They, they see how the rest of the world lives and they want to, in, in the industrialized world, and they want to live that way as well. And uh, for we in the developed markets to tell people, in, for example, in India, that they can't live the sort of middle class life that we have and they need to not industrialize, I, I think that's going to be a non starter in, in diplomacy. So the argument of President Trump and others is that we can't go down this road of the Paris Accords because it's going to cost too many jobs. The coal miners are going to lose their jobs, and we're going to basically put the oil business out of business, which is a lot of high-paying, uh, high-quality jobs. We can't afford to do this uh, because it'll be too harmful to our economy. What is your retort to that? Well, I, I, I believe that uh, creative destruction has been ripping through uh, capitalist society for hundreds of years. Uh, we we don't make our clothes by hand anymore in general. They're made on machines that put a lot of uh, people with good-paying jobs out of work. Uh, we, we got rid of the steam engine somehow, and the, the economy and the country survived. I think uh, we will um, end the oil age, not for the lack of oil, but because better technologies have come along that are cheaper and cleaner 
than what we are currently using. Uh, Mr. Biden, of course, says uh, in his Green New Deal um, proposal that Mr. Trump, when thinking about climate change, can only think of the word hoax. And when he thinks of it, his first word he thinks of is jobs. Now, my major point in this book is not to have a political argument, but that most investors in the United States and increasingly outside the United States are voting with their feet. That we now have <clears throat> more than $11 trillion of institutional money has decided to divest from the hydrocarbon space and the Climate Action 100 has more than $35 trillion of assets under management now from institutions that are working with their target companies, mostly in manufacturing and in energy, to get them to produce accurate numbers of how much uh, carbon dioxide they're releasing and come up with plans to reduce them going forward. So even if you don't believe that climate change is actually happening, it is indeed how investors are starting to invest, how companies are being forced to run their businesses, and how politicians are beginning to form policy. As an economic event, not a political event, do you think the Green New Deal would work? Would it bring our emissions down dramatically and create a lot of jobs? Uh, I, you know, that is, uh, would, would, of course, it will depend on how large a Green New Deal will be. We, we don't know that much about it as of yet. There's, there's no legislation in place. But one would imagine that large tax incentives to electrify our vehicle fleet, to have people install solar panels on their houses where that is, um, uh, makes sense, where to, to build offshore wind turbine farms on the East Coast, which could power the entire East Coast, um, that could have a very significant difference, not just in our emissions, but also send a signal to other countries to do the same. But it would take a long time, right? How long would it take to have a significant impact on our emissions? Uh, it, it could be something that, again, you know, we could reduce emissions by just a few percent per year. It will come to have a significant impact. Um, the Green New Deal plan that Mr. Biden has put forward, I believe, has us at uh, being net um, carbon neutral in emissions uh, before the middle of the century. So this is not something that will take place in one day or one year. It is a long-term project, but if we don't begin that project soon, we will not be able to change the heating of the earth and we will simply have to live with it. So some are saying we're already today, in 2020, over the tipping point. And it's too late. There's nothing we can do uh, to kind of reverse the trends. Is that correct? Or, or is there still time? Well, the, the, the good part about... Uh, climate change that's caused by humans is that it's a very slow process. The bad, par uh, bad part of it is that uh, it's a slow process. And so by changing our actions today, even if we eliminated all uh, carbon emissions today, we still have baked in a certain amount of heating to the climate over the next 10, 20 years. And it's going to happen if we like it or not. There's really no way around that. But at this point, th that amount of heating is... Uh, will cause a certain amount of economic pain around the world that can be mitigated. Um, if you get to the point where entire countries become uninhabitable, then it's it's very difficult to um, mitigate that with a, uh, a, an infrastructure plan. 
Very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, my, my guest this hour is James Elman. Uh, he has been a lifelong money manager at various mutual funds. He lives in the San Francisco area. Uh, his new book is out called Hot Stocks, Investing for Impact and Profit in a Warming World. You can find out more about him and his books at jameselman.com. We'll be back after this. And now a word from our sponsor on earning a passive income. Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's going to be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is going to be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life. Your leadership journey must be a continuous process of education and improvement. If you think you've learned all you need to know, think again. Find out the latest from contemporary authors on topics from character to values and everything in between. Discover insights into servant leader fundamentals along with your host, Tom Crea. Tune into Your Evolving Leadership Journey, Mondays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is James Elman. He is a, a longtime money manager, a hedge fund manager as well. His new book is called Hot Stocks, Investing for Impact and Profit in a Warming World. You can find out more about it and him at jameselman.com. Welcome back to the show, James. Great to be here. Thanks a lot, Jordan. So one of the ways to play uh, the warming world is renewable energy, both the operators and installers. So why don't you go through what investors should look for uh, for a successful operator and installer of renewable energy and maybe some specific names that you like? Well, when people started looking at solar-powered companies and wind power companies, 10, 15 years ago, um, the stocks were small, they were speculative, and they performed quite poorly, mostly because the science and the economics just did not pencil out. And investing in alternative energy tended to be um, uh, a noble way to lose money. That has very much changed in, in the last decade. There are now a large number of large well-funded, profitable companies in the space, I think we could call them green chips at this point, that both manufacture the equipment, install it, and or manage it. Um, just to, to go through a couple of ideas, um, for whatever reason, uh, Denmark is a world leader in wind power, and both Vestas 
and which makes wind turbines, and Orsted, which is the world's largest um, uh, installer and manager of wind turbine farms outside of China, have been very solid stocks as of late. I think much of that and the rest of this space have has been rallying on increasing expectations by investors that we will indeed have a Green New Deal starting up in 2021. So those are the makers of uh, wind turbines, you're saying? And makers, then and, makers and installers. Orsted, and installers. And then Orsted then was the installer of the first offshore wind farm off of Cape Cod uh, mm-hmm. a few years back. And now there are plans to install offshore wind farms all the way down the East Coast as far as Virginia. So President Trump says it kills all the birds and we shouldn't do that. Is that a problem? Uh, he says it causes cancer. The noise causes cancer as well. Um, and it destroys housing values. Um, that, that Those uh, assertions just do not hold up, unfortunately. And if you don't like looking at a windmill, uh, don't buy a house near one. Um, <laughs> if you're worried about birds... Uh, try and get people not to own domestic house cats that kill billions of birds a year and many, many more than um, the wind turbines do. Um, so I, I really don't see that as a problem. And uh, at the end of the day, we, we certainly know that um, coal plants, burning uh, oil and cars, et cetera, that th- these are things that also have negative externalities, negative impacts on society and uh, pollution as well. Could, could wind be a major contributor to energy? Absolutely. I, mean, I believe it's a Stanford researchers say that um, there's enough wind just off the coast of the United States East Coast running from Maine down to Virginia to power almost the entire East Coast. I now, see. storing some of that power for when you need it means we need better battery technology, but a lot of that has been coming down the pike, many different ways to store energy until you need it. And offshore wind has the advantage that most offshore wind takes place during the day, which is when you have the peak in electricity demand. While we're on it, are there some battery makers uh, that would be good plays in the space? Uh, unfortunately, there, there are not many that U.S. investors can buy because they are either based in China or in, um, <clears throat> in Korea, where it's difficult to trade the, the individual names. Um, the best way to potentially buy it. Uh, the space right now is Tesla. But uh, as I do say in the book, and I, I, I drive a Tesla, I have a Tesla Powerwall, I own Tesla stock, but I, I can't recommend Tesla uh, to investors at this time simply because of the price and the volatility. Uh, it's a great company. They produce great cars. Um, but um, I'm not sure. Unfortunately, there are great ways to play the battery space at this time. Okay. And then talk, let's talk about solar both the producers and the installers of solar. Uh, a lot of the companies are in China these days. American companies, some of them went bankrupt, I guess, because they weren't able to compete with the lower prices from China. Right. Well, you do have an in- installers such as uh, Sunrun, R-U-N is the ticker, that recently announced it was going to buy Vivint, uh, the next major competitor in the space, and both stocks went up very nicely. So that is uh, an area that, that could really boom going forward. And then there are lots of um, utility scale sized installers and managers of uh, solar power. Um, those could include um, Clearway Energy, CWEN, uh, NextEra Energy Partners, NEP. And these companies have relatively high dividend yields. Uh, so they don't have the speculative risk of some other names in the space that we've mentioned in terms of 
manufacturers, um, but they do have better yields. So for certain investors, they're a much better fit. Are there some other pure utilities that are buying a lot of solar, moving towards solar and wind, that are good investments along with your thesis of climate change? Um, there, there definitely are. And uh, I, I would say in terms of um, utilities, I, I do have an entire book on it. I mean, I'm sorry, chapter in the book on it. Um, there are several names, um, particularly um, uh, Next Era comes to mind as the company with the best portfolio uh, in the solar and alternative space. The, if there's a negative, is that they are in Florida, where climate change will start to bite um, in terms of economic growth more quickly than in many other parts of the country. Yeah. Okay, so those, those are the solar installers. Would you buy into the Chinese companies? Because there are several Chinese-based solar companies. Are, are they good as investments? Um, they have not been particularly – the problem with, uh, with the, the Chinese manufacturers has been that – they are so focused on growth and the top line and not on the bottom line. While they often have fabulous revenue growth, the ability for them to generate any significant profits that lead to the stocks doing well has been a real problem. Um, so I think that is going to continue to be a, a problem going forward. If you wanted to look at some companies in the space, uh, I might suggest Enphase, uh, which is um, – Technically, it's based in Israel. They make the um, the inverters for the solar panels, the, the effectively the, the motherboard, the, the brain of the solar panel. And that and Solar Edge, another company that um, is in this space, would be potentially better investments at this time. For people who don't want to do individual stocks in this space, are there some exchange-traded funds or even open-ended mutual funds that would be a good way to be diversified in this space? Uh, there is one uh, ETF that comes to mind. It's um, easy to remember. It's TAN, T-A-N, which makes sense for, for solar stocks. Um, and uh, so there, there are some others, and it is a relatively easy way to buy a basket of these names if you are so interested. So that's a, an ETF. How about mutual funds? Uh, I don't have that many names offhand of any size of mutual funds Um to, to recommend, I'm afraid. I, I've really focused on uh, the individual sectors you want to own and the individual stocks within the sectors. So that was a winner, was the uh, solar and wind particularly. Then you have a chapter on your biggest loser, which are hydrocarbons. So let's take them one at a time. I guess the biggest of all the losers would be the coal companies. That's quite a few of them have gone bankrupt. Are there any coal companies you would like? No, I'd, I wouldn't, would not suggest uh, investors invest anything in coal companies at this time. Now, there, there are really no coal companies left in, in the S&P 500. Uh, there are a few very small companies, but uh, it's difficult for them to make profits. And the biggest problem for them has not been alternative energy, but natural gas prices plummeting. The U.S. produces much more natural gas than we need right now. Um, many um, fracking companies in the Dakotas and in Texas produce so much uh, natural gas uh, that the price has actually gone negative in many areas, and it's hard to compete against a negative price, um, to the extent that many oil drillers actually light their gas on fire and flare it. It can be seen from airplanes, it can be seen from space by satellites, and of course it's, it's uh, just an, a very unconscionable 
amount of pollution that's being created by those those um, oil and gas companies. It just seems so wasteful to have all this flaring off. As, it's because the oil is worth something and the gas isn't worth anything that, that they should flare it off and don't they care. Actually have to, yes, they actually have to pay the pipeline company to take it away, so they'd rather light it on fire. And since uh, in some of those, those states, um, oil and gas drilling are so important to their economy, they're allowed to do so. And there are no EPA regulations about flaring them? Uh, no, well, there are regulations, but they are allowed to do it. And they're not supposed to. What's even worse is venting, where you just let the methane, which is a much more powerful greenhouse gas, um, you let the methane just um, dissipate into the atmosphere without lighting it on fire first. Um, and that is something that, um, unfortunately, the regulatory regime preventing venting uh, and uh, flaring have been weakened in recent years under the current administration. Wow. Okay, so that's you're not a big buyer of anything in the coal area. The, obviously, the biggest part of the oil companies, the Exxons and Chevrons of the world, um, are they all doomed, or are there some companies that you would like to buy in the energy in the traditional oil and gas space? Well, I do, I do um, try and analyze it in, in Chapter 4 of my book. I have a chart where I analyze um, all the major oil and gas companies based on the carbon footprint or carbon intensity of what they pull out of the ground and sell. And surprisingly, it's actually the, uh, the Canadian companies are by far the worst offenders, the most polluting and of all the energy majors out there. And they trade here in the U.S. as well, uh, Suncor or Husky or Canadian National. And the main reason is that they are engaged in creating synthetic crude oil out of tar sands up in Alberta. And it takes a great deal of energy to refine those tar sands, turn them into oil, and then, of course, you have to pump them on a pipeline uh, thousands of miles to get them to Oklahoma, to the major refiners. So that would be the area I would most highly recommend you avoid, which would be the oil and gas majors with the highest carbon intensity. And if you had to own something in the oil and gas space, focus on those companies that, that drill more for natural gas close to industrial centers where that gas can be used because gas has a much lower carbon intensity, it's much less polluting than regular and, petroleum. How, how can natural gas companies make money on a negative or very, very low natural gas price? Sure, well, the place where we have very, very low or negative gas prices, those are right at the wellheads in Dakota or in, um, in Texas. So there are many companies that are drilling, fracking and bringing up natural gas in um, Pennsylvania or Ohio, um, and those companies still have a positive price for natural gas. And certainly your listeners, if they uh, are heating their house with natural gas, they, they get a bill and it's a positive price. So um, once you get away from the, the major um, fracking areas in the country, you, of course, still have positive, though currently low, natural gas prices. Yeah, very good. We're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is James Elman. Uh, he is a fund manager. He's managed many different mutual funds. He's worked at several uh, hedge funds called Seacliff Capital and Ascend Capital. His latest book is called Hot Stocks, Investing for Impact and Profit in a Warming World. And you can find out more about him and his website and his books at jamesellman.com. We'll be back after this. Times are tough right now, but Harry's Razors are still here to help you look your best while saving you a little bit of cash along the way. 
Harry's has your grooming needs covered with high-quality blades as low as $2 each delivered straight to your doorstep. I've been using Harry's shavers and shave gel for about a month now, and I really enjoy the smoothness of the shave and the smell of the gel. I also find that the blades last a lot longer than traditional blades, while they still cost less. I've switched to Harry's and signed up for the long-term subscription to get them automatically. Now you can join over 10 million men who've tried and loved the Harry's Shave. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com answers to get a free trial set. Harry's is a return to the essential, quality, durable blades at a fair price of just $2 a blade. Harry's cuts out the middleman by manufacturing blades in their German factory that's been honing blades for more than a century. That means you get incredibly high-quality blades at factory-direct prices. Blades are delivered to your door directly on your schedule, whether you sign up for a subscription or not. In this particularly challenging time, you can feel a little bit better about your purchase because 1% of the proceeds of each sale are set aside for nonprofit organizations devoted to helping provide better access to health care for men and veterans. To support those who need it most right now, Harry's is donating $1 million worth of shaving supplies to hospitals across the U.S. Listeners to The Money Answer Show can redeem their Harry's trial by clicking on harrys.com backslash answers. You get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, a rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Go to harrys.com slash answers to start shaving better today. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. 
My guest this hour is James Elman. His new book is called Hot Stocks, Investing for Impact and Profit in a Warming World. Uh, so we, we've talked about what's going to get hurt by hydrocarbon stocks, but let's talk about financial services companies in various ways. So first of all, commercial banking, how will that be affected by global warming? Well, again, global warming is going to have two major effects on, on the capital markets. One will be the direct impact and costs of climate change, and the other will be the costs and money spent to mitigate them. Uh, both will likely advantage commercial banks that have their operations in the northern half of the United States and be a disadvantage for com companies that are operating in the southern part of the United States, particularly in the southeast. Unfortunately, we are seeing increased temperatures, higher levels of humidity, uh, greater storm surges, more uh, powerful storms, and those all have a negative impact on um, economic output in these states, as well as real estate prices. And um, it has actually been documented that homes in individual cities, such as Miami, that are closer to the waterline are beginning to see their prices fall, while homes that are at slightly higher elevations are appreciating at a faster rate. And I believe we'll, we'll see that continue to going forward. Um, how about investment, talking about banking, how about investment banking? What kind of opportunities will there be to raise capital, both debt and equity, for these new kind of uh, climate change companies? Uh, there, there are some advantages. Uh, there's some negatives. I think that for better or worse, for the Goldman Sachs and Merrill Lynch's of the world, um, climate change is not going to be driving their share prices. I'm sure the guys over at uh, Goldman Sachs are smart enough they're going to figure out a way to make money off of this no matter what happens. Yeah. And then insurance I, uh, is another area. So people are worried about flooding. As you say, the hurricanes are more intense. Uh, would you avoid property casualty companies because they're going to take huge losses because of this uh, whole trend? Well, actually, most flooding in the United States, almost all flooding, is actually covered by you and me. It's a U.S. taxpayer-funded uh, government insurance uh, plan. And in some states, such as Florida or Louisiana, um, the property casualty companies, after taking losses and not being allowed to raise prices enough, simply pulled out of the state. And so you have to um, now get your insurance from a, a state fund. And the same is now the trend here in California, where I'm speaking to you today, in terms of fire risk. So um, insurance companies' biggest opportunity are in those companies, many of them are based in Bermuda, but they trade uh, on the stock market, um, such as XL that have, uh, or the insurance brokers such as Aon, that have been increasingly selling pandemic uh, bonds and um, uh, catastrophic bonds. So they are finding investors that will take one side of a trade where they will receive a high rate of interest if uh, a negative event, a catastrophe, pandemic, et cetera, does not take place. But if the negative event does take place, then they lose the capital they've put into a fund. And some of the larger insurance companies are well positioned for that. So would you be a buyer of catastrophic bonds? Uh, well, that very much has to, you want, if you were to invest in those, and unfortunately, that's, there's really no um, way for individual investors to buy into those now. They are, they are purchased by uh, large investment banks, by large pension funds, and by a small number of hedge funds. Um, but it, it's something that may become available to buy in the future. What I would highly recommend is that it would only 
be appropriate for an investor as part of a diversified portfolio because you obviously don't want to have uh, all of your money tied up on as to whether or not a hurricane hits southern Florida one year or not. So yeah. again, it's it's part of a diversification strategy. So you would In take terms the, of the two largest sorry, issuers, the issuers of, of cat bonds, are Arch Capital and Everest Re. Do you think those are good investments? Yes, I, I do think that those will will do relatively well. And one thing about insurance is that uh, when there is a major negative event and they have to pay out, they uh, to, to people have um, policies that then have claims is that prices go up the next year and more. Um, companies and businesses feel the need to get insurance, even if it's more expensive, to hedge against the possibility of such a negative event. Yeah. The next area of the financial markets is real estate investment trust, REITs. So what are the pros and cons of REITs relating to climate change? Well, there are a a significant number of REITs that, for better or worse, have um, either their apartment buildings, their individual single-family residences that they rent out to people, or their office buildings are in the southeast or in coastal areas that are going to become more and more uh, threatened by major storms and flooding going forward, and that's simply not going to be a positive for the value of those properties. A couple I could uh, point out would be Boston Properties or uh, SL Green, BXP or SLG in New York City, um, or Invitation Homes and Camden Properties Trust, INVH or CPT, where if you take a look at the uh, drill down in terms of the properties they own, they have a very large number of their properties are in coastal areas in the southeast that potentially are going to see the in-migration that they have experienced in those areas reverse and higher costs to manage those properties going forward. So you would avoid those then? I would absolutely avoid those. On on the positive side, companies that you might want to consider, my favorite is, uh, is Hen and Armstrong, uh, H-A-S-I, uh, that have um, real estate investments in several different um, alternative energy space investments. One is they, they buy up the land underneath solar panel farms. Uh, they uh, enter into agreements with municipalities and military bases to remove old and aging HVAC and windows and uh, install more um, advantaged uh, newer products and put solar panels on the roofs um, and make a yield on that. Uh, There are also the forestry REITs, which are down to a certain extent, such as Ryanair and um, Weyerhaeuser, W-Y and R-Y-N, in that uh, over time, and particularly with the Green New Deal, we may see either a carbon tax or a cap-and-trade Policies start to come into uh, into effect. That would, that would be negatives for them. That would oh no, it would be very positive for the forestry REITs because uh, they would actually be when you're growing trees, you're actually sequestering, pulling carbon out of the atmosphere. I see. You have carbon credits you can uh, earn money from, in effect. Uh, absolutely, and then also building with concrete and with steel is actually a relatively carbon um, intense um, uh, activity. And uh, there are increasing numbers of technologies allowing even skyscrapers to be built with um, laminated timber products. Uh, in Scandinavia, they have uh, almost 20-story buildings now built almost entirely out of wood. So we could see a real shift in how we build our buildings going forward. And you've got a whole chapter on infrastructure. What are some infrastructure plays of companies that are helping mitigate climate change? 
<clears throat> well, again, that would, as you said, that's mitigation. And if you take a look at Joe Biden's plan, he talks about climate hardening roads and ports um, and uh, military bases. And uh, the, the companies that jump out as being best positioned would be the project managers, large engineering companies such as Jacobs Engineering, J or MCOR, that's uh, EME, uh, or Arcadis, which is a water-focused um, engineering company in the Netherlands, which uh, has an ADR here, ARCVF. And these companies are all well-positioned for significantly larger amounts of money being spent to rebuild the U.S.'s infrastructure in terms of roads, rail, dams, ports. And we can hope that um, most of that money will be well spent, and certainly it would accrue to a lot of additional revenue for those project managers. And how and about then, the materials, the construction materials that go into these projects? Sure. It can get uh, as um, just boring as good old-fashioned gravel for companies uh, that produce uh, road aggregate, the, the gravel that you put down as the base of a road when you need to raise the road because you've got more and more flooding each year. Um, companies such as Vulcan Materials or Martin Marietta, VMC or MLM, both uh, come to mind. And uh, while um, we've seen quite a few companies in the alternative energy space rally already as um, Mr. Market has increasingly come to believe that we will have a Green New Deal policy in 2021 and going forward, so far these infrastructure stocks have not moved all that much. And so I think it's still a, a, a great opportunity going forward. And how about defense stocks? Because they will be impacted by climate change as well. Right. Uh, I think it's a fallacy to talk about defense stocks doing so well in climate change because, unfortunately, many ex predict that there will be more violence and climate refugees, et cetera. And uh, I don't think you really keep back a, a wave of climate refugees with a, a billion-dollar aircraft carrier or a $100 million jet airplane. So... Um, if we're going to be spending a lot more on alternative energy and on infrastructure, I would imagine in the U.S. budget something's going to have to give, and it could be in the uh, defense space. That would be an area I would very much avoid right now. Companies such as General Dynamics or Lockheed Martin um, could be in for a very difficult time going forward if the U.S. government decides to spend a bit less than they have been on um, defense. And these companies also, for better or worse, are highly focused on aviation, on commercial aviation. And commercial aviation is a, a very polluting activity. And until we can figure out how to um, produce electrified airplanes, which is probably a decade away, um, it, we may see that a cap and trade or a carbon tax would make the price of a plane ticket significantly more expensive going forward. Interesting. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman with The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is James Ellman. Uh, he has a, been a fund manager at many different funds and uh, various kinds of hedge funds as well. He's an expert on how climate change is going to affect your investments. His latest book is called Hot Stocks, Investing for Impact and Profit in a Warming World. You can find out more at his website, jamesellman.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? 
Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is James Elman, author of the book Hot Stocks, Investing for Impact and Profit in a Warming World. You can find out more at his website, jamesellman.com. Welcome back to the show, James. Great to be on with you. So one of your big uh, impacts of climate change is what you call the decline and fall of the internal combustion engine. That's a pretty major thing. Our entire country, world has been built on the internal combustion engine. Why is that going to happen, and, and what's the alternative for that? Well, you know, the, the, uh, they were saying that the oil age is probably not going to end for lack of oil. The, the Stone Age didn't end for lack of rocks. So um, it, it really is coming down to the fact that electrified vehicles are simply becoming superior to those that run internal combustion engines. Uh, they are much more efficient in terms of the amount of energy that comes from the uh, engine to the wheels and moves the car forward. Uh, they're not polluting. Uh, they have fewer moving parts and they don't break down as often. And they're increasingly becoming cheaper than their internal combustion engine competitors. So uh, what we've been seeing is not just the Teslas of the world, but uh, all the major automakers are starting to come out with electrified vehicles or at least uh, gas-electric hybrids or plug-in hybrids. And in many countries, it's going to become illegal to buy an internal combustion engine in the next 10 years. I don't wow. know if we're going to get that, uh, that severe as they, they are in, in other parts of the world here in the United States, but clearly the incentives are starting to move towards owning an electrified vehicle rather than a traditional and, and this combustion is not engine. Cars. We're talking about trucks here, too. For example, I think Tesla has an autonomous truck. I mean, there's lots of people who make their living driving gas and diesel trucks. Is that all going to go away? Uh, well, you know, the Tesla's truck, they make, they're making a new semi-truck. Uh, it's an electric vehicle. I believe it's got more than a 500-mile range. And um, it, it is not, it, while it will have a, the same sort of autopilot as the, the Tesla S's or X's you see on the road these days, it's not autonomous yet. So we're not getting rid of the, the truck driver um, just yet. BJ and the Bears' job is safe for now. He's just going to be driving a different sort of truck. Yeah. Um, and, of course, we're seeing that from many other companies. Now, if you think about a, a truck maker like Packard or an engine maker like Cummins, which are publicly traded, they're in a, a difficult situation because if they try and move too quickly towards electrified engines, um, they will not remain competitive in the market. And if um, they move too uh, uh, too quickly, they won't. Uh, they'll be in trouble as well. So, it, it, finding that sweet spot uh, as we migrate in cars, in motorcycles, and in trucks 
to electrified vehicles is going to be a, a very difficult uh, job for many of the manufacturers in that space. What other, beyond Tesla, electric car manufacturers, even around the world, do you think make for good investments? Um, probably um, it would be Ford and GM would be the one that would stand out in my mind right now. And that is because um, part of Joe Biden's plank for his policy in Green New Deal would be that the U.S. government would be trying to purchase electrified vehicles whenever possible for its own use. And I would imagine that many states such as California would, uh, would, would probably follow suit relatively quickly. So one would imagine they would be trying to buy companies or that, that most make most of their cars in the United States, and it could really help um, give a boost to their competitive advantage for making electric vehicles. But of course, uh, companies like um, Volkswagen have been doing a very good job in terms of making electrified vehicles as well, even though at this point, all these companies I just mentioned still make a preponderance of their vehicles are internal combustion engines. And how about airlines and, and Boeing companies making the airlines? Are, do you think eventually that airlines will, will go to a non-fuel uh, kind of uh, airliner? Well, it's, it's actually, a, uh, it's very interesting right now because we're, we're probably in a, a phase where things are going to flip over time. Right now, the most efficient air carriers are those that focus on long-haul flights. The, there's a great deal of energy and fuel that's burn just getting that plane up off the ground. Um, so uh, airlines that focus on short-haul flights are much more polluting in terms of greenhouse gas emissions right now than those that focus on longer-term um, long-haul flights. However, they are, the scientists are now starting to test um, electrified airplanes that run off of um, stored energy batteries. Uh, however, they're probably only going to be good for give or take two-hour plane flights. And so 10 years from now, the most efficient airlines and most efficient flights um, and probably the cheapest cost per mile may end up being the short-haul flight from Boston to Washington or San Francisco to L.A. versus right now, flying from New York to London is, is much more efficient. There'll be a mix. Some shorter-term flights can be lithium-based and longer-term flights will still have to have gasoline and, and oil. That's true, and uh, there are companies such as um, United are now using bio-produced uh, aviation fuel in their flights going between San Francisco and Los Angeles, and so that might be uh, part of the solution is making the uh, effectively something similar to a, an ethanol sort of product that uh, has a high octane that you can use as an aviation fuel. Your last chapter of the book is what you call the grab bag from Pandora's box, so a bunch of little possible ways of playing climate change, so let's in the short time we have, pharmaceuticals, what would be some plays there? Well, again, along with um, potential with defense, I don't believe that uh, many quick conclusions that pharmaceuticals will be benefited or pharmaceutical companies will be benefited by global warming because you'll have more malaria and dengue fever and Zika and other lovely things that unfortunately become or viruses that become more prevalent in warmer areas. Um, and that's simply because... Um, the vaccines to prevent such diseases, for better or worse, are a very small percentage of the revenues of these companies and are not particularly high profit margin parts of their business. So I, I don't believe that pharmaceuticals are particularly going to benefit, number one. And unfortunately, climate change is likely to reduce the GDP of our country and that of most of the rest of the world. 
And if you have a lower GDP, it's hard to spend increasing amounts of GDP on healthcare as the developed world has. So I would be, to a certain extent, considering avoiding pharmaceuticals in the next few years. By the way, uh, climate change impacted COVID-19. Is, is COVID-19 happened because of climate change to some extent? Um, some have tried to argue that that might be a case or it might have been in, in help because it was supposed to not be as transmissible in warmer weather where people can be outside for longer periods of the year. I, I don't, for, for better or worse, COVID-19 and the pandemic is, is just a, 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 a terrible event to befall the human race. Um, it's today's problem. I hope we solve it. Uh, climate change is one, uh, a long-term problem. I hope we solve that one as well, but we've got to get through COVID-19 first. How about hydrogen fuel cells as an alternative for uh, engines? Well, the, the traditional place to play that would be Ballard Power, um, and that stock is, is publicly traded, and they have hydrogen-powered um, fuel cell buses running in three different continents now. Um, however, the, it, it seems that electrified uh, lithium-powered batteries are likely the technology that is going to rule the roads for the next decade, and it's not clear how long until Ballard or companies that make individual power cells like Plug, um, PLUG, will actually be able to generate any real profits for investors. In the roughly two minutes we have left, kind of sum up what difference it will make to people's long-term performance to be invested in the winners of climate change as opposed to the losers. Oh, I believe that climate change and efforts to mitigate climate change is going to be one of the major drivers, if not the major driver, of stock market outperformance and underperformance over the next 10 and 20 years. And so I'm not going to say that every single stock in the market that you invest in is going to be a climate change play, but it's um, an overlay I think investors are increasingly going to need to take into account when they're investing. And I believe going forward, investors who invest in a greener portfolio rather than a browner portfolio will see significant outperformance. And those that continue to invest in carbon polluting companies are going to see their investments underperform significantly over time. And your book gives people all the specifics about how the, the winners, where the winners are going to be and where the losers are going to be. Uh, I've, I've tried my best to, to lay that out. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm not currently uh, managing institutional money, so I'm not just uh, talking about my own portfolio. I'm, I'm trying to help investors come up with a, a framework for how to think about investing over time in a way that will have a positive impact on the world and also hopefully improve their bottom line. Terrific. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been James Elman. His book is called Hot Stocks, Investing for Impact and Profit in a Warming World. You can find out more at his website, jamesellman.com. Thanks so much for educating us about this very important topic, James. Thanks so much for the time today, Jordan. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.